Yeah, I'm feeling Kim's good. Fry. Kim's Fry. Welcome, everyone, to this completely unnecessary podcast. For Tuesday, we're back on a Tuesday, August 17th, 2021. That's Spryful Ian Ferguson. I'm pumped up. I'm poofy-haired Pat Contry. On the show today, boy, we're talking about lots of fun stuff and uh, talking about the galaxy of... Uh, ball hair trimmers as well. Yeah. Our sponsor today, Manscaped. Uh, we're talking about uh, the Honus Wagner baseball card going for a record. Uh, Amico NFTs and their pre-order free gift. Uh, we're talking about, are your games worth millions? Also a Patreon poll topic. Voicemail. Ian, how was your how was your weekend? Fast and fantastic. Is there any weekend update? Uh, update. It's good. Started the new job yesterday. The uh, in, new in, job. In, in, in an official capacity. And I got to say, working from home is very, very nice. It is very comfortable. Um, and now that I know that I'm leaving Luna, uh, my my shifts at Luna are a little less stressful. A little more pep in your step. A little more pep in my step. You're like, Dep it out, I'm gone. Don't give a fuck. It's don't like the, give a fuck. Like don't la- give a fuck. It's like the yeah. last week of school. Yeah. It's exactly. like, yeah. yeah. What are you going to do to me? I have to be there, but I'm not like, yeah, I'm not. Remember not. that last week of school in grade school, especially grade school? It was, just oh, it was like, always great. It was wonderful. It's like no tests anymore. Right. You really? Just showed up and you played tag and threw a frisbee around. You made like a couple of little quizzes, but by, by like that Tuesday. How far can you jump? Let's go, little kids. We're going to see how far you yeah. can jump. We're going to call the field day. By that Tuesday. Field day, oh. we're going to measure your jumps. Yeah, we had field days anyway, but like by that Tuesday, we were done. We were done. We we're like, oh, three days of just, you know, get you get your your your, your report card. You, you find out what class you're going to next year. Sorry, what else did you do, Ian? Uh, had some carne asada yesterday. Oh, it's delicious. Okay, it's delicious. Um, yeah. How about you? What did you do? What did you do? I got Patrick? sushi with Frank. We ordered some sushi. Yeah, and watched the the Mets get destroyed. Yes, yes, Ian. The Mets. If there's any one tradition I have in my lifetime is watching the Mets blow first place in in late summer. <laughs> They're like they scored probably six runs all of August. Their their offense is terrible. Yeah, terrible. And, and the goat Degrom is still out. He didn't come back maybe till September. His arm, his forearm, something's wrong with his forearm, unfortunately. So not only could I not see the Mets probably get in the playoffs, but seeing a Cy Young for Degrom probably won't happen because he does not have enough innings earned to qualify. He only has fifteen starts this season. So he's going to be like, oh, he has the best ERA ever for a starting pitcher, but it's only fifteen games. It's like one point oh eight. And that was with his last couple of games being bad. You know, it was like 0.6 before that, you know. So, yeah, it's a shame. So, yeah, it's, that's the life of a Mets fan, though. It's like one out of 50 years you have joy, and then the rest of the time it's just you, you, you lovable losers. But you we do have the best mascot in sports, Mr. Met, is, is the best, and the family. It's a fucking Mr. creeper. You want, Mr. Met's a creeper. No, no. Mario's a creeper behind you. Mr. Met is happiness and he joy. He just wants to find his keys. He wants to find, and, and poor Mario is getting his head squished below him. <laughs> He's just, um, Mario. I played a game. What'd you play? A modern game. I played Trigger Witch. Ah. Uh, I played it on Switch. My friend uh, Dan from Rainbite Games. Dan, Dan, he's our man. If he can't do it, no one can. Go Dan. Go, go, go Dan. 
Um, it's a it's a dual um, joystick game shooter. Mm-hmm. So one moves in one direction, and you are a witch, a kindly uh, little witch. And there's a story. So basically, you figure, you know, witches and there's magic. But in this universe of the game, the magic's been almost snuffed out. So they they now resort to defending themselves with handguns and, and machine guns and stuff like that. And there's a story reason for that. So it's just sort of jarring, though, when you play it. You're like, oh, these cute little creatures, and they're attacking you. All right, I'm going to get my machine gun and blow them away. Gun them but, the fuck down. Yes, but it's, it's a fun game. I love the graphic style. It's uh, clever writing. It's like a combination of... God, Smash TV and Zelda. So it's open world adventure, but then you get into like rooms where you have to kill all these monsters. And a everything. twin stick RPG, as it were. Action yeah. RPG. I don't, sure. think it's, I don't think that's existed before, but now it does in, in Trigger Witch by Rainbite. And that is also, so it's on PS4, Switch, PS5, Xbox Series X, one, all the Xboxes. And then you can also get via, um, via Play Asia, you can get, uh, I think, a physical version. There. So yeah, trick, so check out Trigger Witch there from my my pal Dan. Um, speaking of games online, this was a this was a this was a, a, a this came down the pike from a summary judgment. So remember, ROM Universe talked about them years ago. They got Nintendo went after them, then they couldn't couldn't even pay the paltry you know amount or whatever the hell they were supposed to pay. Um, Two point one million summary judgment was against ROM Universe. Operator Matthew Storman. Um, now the new orders that they must destroy their destroy the ROMs, destroy them, burn the ROMs. Much weeping and gnashing of teeth as you take a hammer to all of your incredibly irreplaceable ROMs. Um, more interestingly, though, is um, the fact that he has he is now forbidden f- forbidden to copy, distribute, They're or voted. sell. Oh. But he's not even allowed to use an emulator. Okay. Yeah. He's not allowed to play unauthorized copies of games. So he uh, can't, basically, he can't use an emulator or anything like that. I don't know how they're going to, I I, I don't know how they're going to verify that the ROMs have been destroyed. I mean, since digital files can always be I was going to say, you got to go get the whole magnetic hard drive wipe and you got to like drill it with holes how do you destroy a rom technically i don't know it, it's it's interesting because it's it's there it's using the technology it's using the terminology that would be used for like bootlegs and counterfeits yeah. in other in other av- uh, other venues but it doesn't really fit with roms like if it was coins i would understand okay he's got to destroy he's got to melt down all these bootleg or t-shirts, coins or t-shirts or something like that but yeah how do you i mean does he have to record a screen capture video of him highlighting all hitting shift delete and, and then getting yes and get one of those emptying like, the recycling bin getting one of those delete shredder programs are really deleted from your hard drive yeah. to like run ones and zeros over it you know is that what you got to do to, to um, do this yeah so, so very strange um Back in May 2021, the court granted 2.1 million summary judgment against ROM Universe operator Matthew Storman, but Nintendo was denied a permanent injunction that would forbid the site from selling online. How they? How, wow, I'm surprised that the judge was like, "All right, you can sell the site, but you just can't do the ROMs." One of the reasons was related to the fact that Storman had taken the site down. Oh, okay. And the court saw this as a sign that there would be no future infringements. However, Nintendo asked the court to reconsider, especially after Storman hinted that ROM Universe could have a potential comeback. Why would you do that? Why would you hint? Why Matthew? would you do that? These people are absolutely insane. They you have, have millions of judgment against you from Nintendo. 
You know, it's just the one that Nintendo's like, yeah, just give us like 50 bucks a month. I, and you're I fine. Was that, was that the but, one? but we've had examples of that in yeah. the past. Nintendo generally is like, okay, fine, just give us some yeah, we can't, poultry know. pittance for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, plaintiff's evidence demonstrates a threat of continued infringement based on defendants' representations that he may relaunch his website, which previously contained plaintiff's copyrighted games. Why would, I, it just it doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? These people can't. There's a subset of people who just cannot help but trip over themselves I, and fucking fuck themselves up. I guess he realized, well, they can't get money out of me because I don't have the money to pay millions. So I'm going to be the celebrity pirate ROM guy. Like, that's what that's my thing. There's other ROM sites that out there anyway. They exist that, you know, if you really want to get your your ROMs. So it's I don't know. The injunction prohibits ROM Universe's operator to copy, distribute, sell, or even play unauthorized copies. Uh, he can't even play unauthorized copies. Yeah, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. Like um, he can't even use like emulators. Then yeah, he must destroy all pirated Nintendo games by August 17, 2021. That's today when we're recording this. Defendants shall permanently destroy all unauthorized Nintendo games or other unauthorized copies of Nintendo's intellectual property, including movies, books, and music, no later than August 20, August 17th. Um, then he has to file that he did this no later than August 20th. So there you go. That's funny. I mean, you, you, you okay scrolling there? Something happening on, on, on the Twitter universe? Uh, I'm pulling something up that I need to reference later so I don't have to pause later when I do it. Oh, okay. Looks like you can do a prep during the, during the intro. Uh-huh. Who so, says we're just a couple of dumb podcasters? We, we prepare a little bit, right? Just a little bit? Yeah, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Wiggle it. Just a little bit. You want to talk about the next topic, Ian? Uh, Do we? Gaming companies should avoid predatory designs, say lawmakers. Thanks, lawmakers. That's you, a great the idea. The UK is taking, taking the, they're the tip so of the spear here. This is coming fight. out of the UK. It seems like a lot of the stuff that I... Uh, the UK seems to have less tolerance for the um, whole loot box uh, thing than the US does. Um, I don't really understand why we don't say this sort of thing here but hopefully this will set some sort of precedent but they're starting to do it here according to this in letters to a dozen major gaming companies including blizzard epic games microsoft nintendo and riot uh some senators ed markey from massachusetts uh, kathy castor from florida and Lori trahan from massachusetts uh, three democrats press executives to extend new uk design regulations to children in the u.s it is imperative that congress acts with urgency to enact a strong privacy law for children and teens in the 21st century. As we work towards the goal, we urge you to extend to American ch- children and teens any privacy enhancements that you implement to comply with the AADC. So this is coming from the age-appropriate design code is what the new rules are called in the UK. Um, they'll be applying to social media and games like Roblox and Minecraft. And uh, they design their products in the best interests of children, basically age-appropriate, specific for who they are mostly targeting, um, basically offering stricter privacy settings, policies for different age groups, and restrict nudging techniques often used to encourage users to continue using the service. The U.S. has some laws protecting children's privacy, most notably the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. Uh, but the law only applies to children under the age of 12. The UK rules extend to minors under the age of 18. Uh, then one more quote here. The prevalence of microtransactions often encouraged through nudging, nudging, 
have led to high credit card bills for parents, the lawmakers wrote. Loot boxes go one step further, encouraging purchase before a child knows what the bundle contains akin to gambling. I always said that this would come. It, it was just takes take some time. But um, yeah, I guess if you need uh, you need some will in Congress to write a law and pass it, you know, and you got to get the Senate to stamp on it. I, I don't see why this would not be a bipartisan bill unless they're unless they got folks uh, lobbying from via the, the game industry. Now, it wouldn't be shocking if there are lobbyists. No, I was going to say I wouldn't be shocked at all. What is it called? K Street. That's where all the lobbyists are. That's where they all live in in Washington. I think it's like K Street. I believe. Really? I read about that. Did I make that up? K Street. <laughs> I don't. Sometimes know. I make stuff up and I think, oh, I'm right. I'm either right about stuff or super wrong. K Street is a major thoroughfare in the United States Capitol known as a center for numerous lobbyists and ag- advocacy groups. There you go. That's where they hang out. It's like a mall of lobbyists. That sounds like the best time ever. Sounds awful. Why don't we take a Thirst Street over to UltimateNintendo.com? Why, why don't we? You know, what can you get? What can you, I can lobby you to get? <laughs> you can get uh, the uh, Nintendo book, the Super Nintendo book. You can get pins, uh, stickers. Uh, DVDs, DVDs, T-shirts, DVDs. a limited T-shirt, DVDs. Thank you, Ian. You're welcome. Thank you for help keeping the lights on, Castle yeah, Country. No there, problem. I'm here for you. I'm also returning to Twitch this Wednesday. Uh, Twitch.tv/slash/contracode for 80s, and we throw now a couple of 90s commercials at the end. We tease you now because we're going to run out of 80s. Commercials. <laughs> you are going to run out of 80s yes. commercials. We're up, to, not an we're, up to, we're up to we've gone through 600 volumes. 600 I've gone through. There's only about 850, so i got to start Jeez. peppering in the uh, 90s commercials. Wowzers. Yeah, 90s are not nice when it comes to commercials. And I'm also on Cameo, Cameo.com slash Pat Country. We forgot to record something for someone this morning, but we'll do it quickly afterwards, hopefully. All right. Um, all right, Ian, there's, uh, there's another mini that's been announced. Yeah, there is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this one is probably going to be more popular with those folks over in europe but the amiga is getting a mini version and it comes with worms which was the first thing i thought of i was like well that's gonna have to have worms because that's about all i could think of we don't want worms though oh the game the game sir okay sir what a coincidence it's the summer of video game years by the way and just uh yesterday and monday we showed the uh 85 episode which was the amiga year there you go what a coincidence so, uh, list of games involves Alien Breed 3D, Another World, ATR, Altair, and Racing, Battle, Chess, Cadaver, Kickoff 2, Pinball Dreams, Simon the Sorcerer, Speedball 2, Brutal Deluxe, The Chaos Engine, Worms, The Director's Cut, and Zool. There's going to be 25 games in total, and it comes with a controller that looks like uh, the Amiga, Amiga CD. CD32. It exactly looks yeah. like that. I don't know if they had a controller look like that before. My guess is they no. probably did. They just, uh, my guess is they probably did, but I only know it know. from being the Amiga and you CD. Get, and you get your boxy two-button mid-80s mouse there, which is nice. And um, so, okay. Well, the, the, it's going to be the A500 Mini. is clearly based on the Amiga 500. It's from The Verge. Retro Games uh, Limited, who did the commodore mini from a few years ago says that it, it'll also emulate the more powerful aga graphics hardware from the amiga 1200 i think that's the one i have in my garage the 1200 i found it at the swap meet i believe um yeah there's only let's see what is that about 10, 10 games 12 games confirmed confirmed so far out of 25 i recognize pinball dreams battle chess um worms directors cut zool and the rest i have no idea what those are kickoff two we always see that's always one that's that was on the Super Nintendo as well, I believe. That's don't always... recognize Speedball? I don't think so. No. Um, I'm going to uh, 
make a prediction here. On this mini? I will put five whole dollars down on... I bet you Alfred Chicken's on here at some point. bet you they put Alfred Chicken on here. Was, it, was that on the Amiga, you think? Yeah, it was. Absolutely, it was. Okay. Yeah. Well, Amiga wasn't it a was, big thing here. It was, it was one of the uh, few uh, Amiga CD games, too. Mm, mm. But they, they, there's now just, I want to get that. There's just an AGA. There's a, a AGA graphics version, but it was on the Amiga CD. If there's two game. Certain. If there's two game franchises I should collect every version of. It's uh, Chase HQ and uh, Alfred Chicken. I should go for every single version of those games just just to do it. Um, you're going to be able to change between uh, 50 and 60 refresh uh, screen on oh, here nice. for 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 uh, Europe or North America. So that's pretty cool. Save states, built-in CRT filter, and various scaling. Options. Gamepad reminiscent, they say here, of the CD32. So that's what they're going for here. One is, hopefully, I'm guessing there'll be a USB controller you can throw in here as well. You can hook up your own keyboard since this one is not functional, which, you know, that makes sense. And there's it's, a mini Commodore. I think this is the same. Is this the same people that did it, you say that? that yeah, did. The mini Commodore? It's the same okay. ones yeah. that did the, the mini Commodore. They did the Commodore one, they did, I think, the joystick one and, and the separate keyboard one. But you could use that keyboard, I thought, right? No, I thought that. I thought it was one another instance where you, oh, you could. couldn't. I think there was a full-on Commodore. recreation of the Commodore, yes, but there was a mini one that did. I had a non-functional. The C sixty four mini, the sixty four mini has the keyboard with the joystick. It's forty. It's only forty bucks, really, on Amazon. Um, yeah, that's tempting. Yeah, I was gonna say, I guess because it's smaller form factor. Yeah, that one. I think that was already two years ago that came out at least. That was an early one. So there's that, and now there's this. So there you go. Um, let's see. Oh, oh no! Yeah, you have to plug in a keyboard to use the Commodore as well, so it's not yeah. functional. It just looks cute. Yeah. But you get that joystick, that classic uh, joystick, with it. With the, it looks like a, a clown with a big nose saying hi. <laughs> yes, it that's, does. That's what it looks like. That red joystick. I'll put the picture somewhere here. Uh, so anyway, uh, Pac-Man. Every every week, a new way to monetize Pac-Man, whether it's brunch, uh, vinyl figures. A, a new uh, new game release somewhere. Now you get an old school style Casio digital watch coming out, and this is said to me twice. So I'm like, we have to talk about this. I I don't know. I don't know why. It's the Casio A100 WEPC Waka Waka. Honestly, it's kind of nice looking. I don't hate it. So so in the, in the late seventies to early eighties, you had those, the Seiko watches. Those were now worth money. My father had Psycho, one. Seiko Seiko watches. Seiko yeah. Seiko whatever. That they were like the first, like I guess I, from what I know, I don't, I'm not an expert. The first stylish LCD watches, and they try to push those like early '80s. Yeah, I'm not but, a watch person, and they're now worth money though. From what I hear, like those are worth money, even though everyone had them back. Oh, then. some of them are. Like this, I think the Seiko TV watch is worth a lot. That's a crazy yeah. little watch. So this is that same sort of style where it's gold. You have the LCD readout, but this one you have um, pack uh, just Pac-Man on on the band. Watchman and inside the inset on the face of the watch, you get Pac-Man. Remember, you can't play this. This isn't yeah. like a Pac-Man game. This is just a digital watch, old school. I would never wear this, but I actually... I'm not a watch guy. I actually like the gold in this instance, and I normally don't like gold. I think this is actually a pretty smart-looking watch if you if you like Pac-Man and watches. It looks smart, huh? Yeah. Old-timey saying. It looks smart. It does. look smart. Look sharp. Um, this is originally was 1978. This Casio version, resin case, blah 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 blah. So, what is this going to cost? What, what is this going to cost here? Oh, the back has a has a cute little little uh, ingrain, little yeah, ingrain. I saw that stamped. This costs more than a hundred bucks. I'm going to scream. It's probably expensive. 
Is there a price on it? They're, they're hiding the price. Where's the price? I'm scrolling down on Casio's website. Where is the price? Did you check it out? Did you hit the check it out button? Did you check it I out? I checked it out and not, not seeing the price on this. It's probably very expensive. Oh, this is going to be $250 probably. I thought it was going to be like $100. Bucks. But oh, most no. of these watches are not super expensive, I don't think, nowadays. But anyway, movie Ian, I can never I can never figure out how to uh, attach those. Those metal ones, you like clip it on around. And like, oh yeah. When I was a kid, I couldn't figure it out. I had the cheap ones that you get, like the free Olympics one. You know, in 1988, that was stuck inside a cereal box. That was my LCD watch. That's not I too bad. 110 bucks. Oh, I said 100 bucks. Okay, yeah. All right, I still don't want one. Give me that Rolling Thunder one. Oh, on eBay though, it's already going for 228 dollars. So I wonder if this is one of those instances where, yeah, it's just like everything in this life. Can't have anything nice. Everything's got to be fucking scalped right through the moon, right in your butt. <laughs> right in your butt, scalped right, right to the, the moon, ass. right to the moon, like Manscapes going across the galaxy. Jesus H, fuck. <laughs> we love you, Manscapes. We love you. You take you take good care of us. Um, baseball cards, Ian. They're all the rage with the kids. Tell me about Honus, Honus, Honus Wagner. Hit me with the Honus. We bring up this card every other month because we talk about you know collectibles, and this was always the big collectible out there. The Honus Wagner T two hundred six card, maybe between. 1909, 1911. It was a tobacco card from that. Remember back in the day, I was around for that. You go down to your local five and dime. Back then, it was a one and five, and you would get your uh, pack of tobacco. A one and five. It was a one and five, Ian. And then, uh, <laughs> what do we got now? A diamond quarter. That was a dollar, dollar fifty. Dollar, dollar fifty. Dollar or two. <laughs> so anyway, you get your pack of tobacco. <laughs> a dollar or two. You get your, you get your, and they, 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 there'd be a baseball card in there. It was I do that every Saturday. My grandpa would go with me back in back in the early. 1900s. I remember that. I'm immortal, by the way. <laughs> and, and so, uh, over the years, these started becoming collectible amongst baseball card collectors. They realized that, you know, oh, these things exist. Okay. But for some reason, the Onus Wagner card is in the Hall of Fame. is one of the early Hall of Famers. For, for some reason, that one was especially scarce. You can find tobacco cards. They're not extremely hard to find. For some reason, this guy's hard to find. And the, the theory was, was that he did not like tobacco or cigarettes, and that's why he did it. So he had it pulled. That's not been confirmed, but that's the thought about, like, why is this card so scarce compared to everything else? So it just sold uh, for over $6 million. Was it 6.6? Did I say that? Jeez, on here? This before, this set records all the time, this card. Uh, but then it got overpassed by other cards and more recent cards. Like a Luka Doncic logo man card sold for four point six million. I, it was always weird how these new cards can sell for that much money. They make them in like quantities of like I guess like one or five or whatever. Uh, Patrick Mahomes rookie pass card sold for four point three million. Patrick uh, Mahomes been playing for like three years, four yeah. years. It's 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 insane. This is a card that's over a hundred years old. That's legitimately like like he's a Hall of Famer. This is a historic card. It's been around for fifty years since the discovery of this as being a thing. Um, yeah. It sold for one million originally in, in two thousand, and now uh, yeah, it went for six point six million at Robert Edwards Auctions. I talked to Robert about this last night. He gave me a call. He's like, "Yeah, Pat, I'm surprised your, about your, this." Your, your weekly checkup yeah, with, I, with Robert. Yeah, it's right after my ninja call. Uh, R- Robert Edwards calls me. <laughs> the the T the T two hundred six Onus Wagner is the most iconic sports card of all time. That's true. 
said REA president Brian Dwyer. Collectors relished the rare opportunity to own a Wagner card that was graded this high. It was a 3.0, by the way. I mean, these weren't taken well care of. They, they, no. They were home next to cigarettes and tobacco. Yeah, they, came, they came in tobacco packs. Yes. That's, that's a... They, <laughs> that's they, a they smell start. like a 100-year-old, uh, you know, tobacco. Yeah. Did I ever tell you about the guy who shit his pants on the airplane? No, Ian, but please please uh, connect this to tobacco carts. So, Bonnie and I were on an airplane once, and the guy behind us shit his pants, and it was so bad. But I'll never forget, after sitting through six hours of dealing with shit stank in the air, uh, we stood up, and a dude in a military outfit stood up and goes, Holy! Smells like someone's carrying a wet pack of cigarettes around in their pants. That must be a that must be a, a military saying. It must be. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Did you shit your pants. Oh, is that guy carrying wet cigarettes around in his pants? Anyway, tobacco doesn't smell good. So just as to, to, going back to this story to let you know how r- actually rare this card is or scarce, uh, there's only seven graded ones known to exist. Hmm. C, uh, SGC has three graded ones, and competitor PSA has four. In uh. And higher grades, so at least seven. Wait, it's not clear if there's more than seven. I'll look it up. There's not a lot, there's not a lot of these things. No, it's not like Super Mario sixty four, right? It's legitimately rare. It's gonna it's gonna be years until you find one like this. So there you go. Uh, originally discovered by collector Mike Ehrenstein Ooh. in nineteen seventy two, he found the card in a lot of six hundred cards he bought for one hundred twelve bucks. So that was, the, I guess, one of the first ones. Oh, this was the one that was discovered then, and then he sold it. To a New Jersey collector, two years later for $1,100. He then sold it to a collector who also was in Jersey for undisclosed price. That guy then sold it to a fourth guy to Texas 30 years later. Um, also to another guy. Then 30 years later, it sold in 2012 for $1.2 million. So this is not the one. Remember, it went in the 90s. At, like, remember Tom McFarlane got one or Gretzky tried to got, get one? Like That's how this got famous in the 90s. Those oh, guys, okay. Those guys would. I, I mean, I remember it. learning about it in the nineties. I, this didn't, I didn't one, know who was going for it. Yeah, but this specific one, though. Oh, okay. This is the path this one took. But this went for a million dollars in the nineties. This one. This was like the first million dollar, like big thing before comic books hit that. It was good old uh, T two hundred six. Onus Onus Wagner played for twenty one years in the majors. Onus Agner. This picture of him looks like he's fifty eight years old, but again, people aged a lot quicker in the, in the nineteen teens, I guess. Yeah, nineteen twenties. But yeah. this picture of him on here looks he looks like ancient. Eighteen year olds he's look got, like they were ready to settle baseball down in players, retirement. Baseball players shouldn't have jowls, is what I'm saying. Shouldn't have jowls, but you know, they didn't have the training regimen we have today. They didn't have that. Onus Otisberg. Zelda Ocarina, the Gateway 64 hotel version ROM, was recently dumped, Ian. Very exciting. Not that excited about this one. Um, but hey, it's here. But it's our pals at, uh, you know, Force of Illusion, given the details. And I like them. And I'm happy for the preservation. I just have nothing to say about this one. Some of these I have something to say about. Some of them I don't. This Zelda, not so much. This is a weird Zelda, Zelda though. Zelda. It's, it's the Hotel Zelda. There is no save file here. Um, so basically, either you fired this up because you wanted a, I don't know, a little taste, a little dab of the Zelda before you went to bed. Or you, got, you, you, just, got a, you got a big business meeting in the morning. You want to play some Macarena. You, just, you know, you want to run through the first couple of temples. Um, yeah, so no save files. You would have to play all the way through. You rent it by the hour. 
Yes. This is LogiNet. I have the controller, I think, somewhere in my garage. I, I got I got one of these N64 controllers somewhere. I don't know if it's this one. Um, the hourly rental Gateway 64 system. It was a hit in its heyday, according to ZeldaUniverse.net. A hit in its heyday. I'd love to see the I'd love to see the stats that they had about how many people actually rented this in rooms with their I've been in hotel rooms with that N64 controller. I remember seeing them. Where you rented, you know, you just they had them built in, I yeah. guess. This is interesting. So uh, they do say, oh, this is kind of neat. Uh, oh, okay. That's kind of neat. Uh, those who run the Hotel Ocarina of Time files, this is, I'm reading from Zelda Universe, will begin as Adult Link in Hyrule Field, which opens the door to many questions and possibilities. Can you become Child Link? Is it possible to beat the game? Who knows? Uh, Project 64 is required to play the software. Naturally, this version does not have three save files in the start menu. Um, the source files did not even contain a save file as the game was meant to be rented by the hour. So. All right. Well, if you, want, if you want the hotel experience, if you want to run through, what, what does it take, 12 hours to beat Ocarina? I don't know. Um, go, go have it with this version. Do a speed run on the hotel version. There you go. We'll have a whole subcategory for the speed running. Hotel, motel, holiday in. If your girl is acting up, well, then you bring her friend. Everybody now. I don't know how it goes. I forget. I used to know every word. Seventy seven. When did that song come out? No, Rapper's what? Delight was, I think, eighty two. Okay, maybe not. Rapper's. All right, you look that up, Ian, while we transition to the main podcast. Will, will you do that for me? Nineteen eighty. Okay. All right. Wasn't too, you're like, no, Pat, not seventy seven. Eighty. Yeah, we were both off by same, a few years. Same disco era. Yeah, that wasn't disco though. They put that in a disco probably, but that's how it started. They rapped they over were. instrumental yeah. disco. I was gonna say that would have been in a disco probably. Yes. In an urban area, they would do that style. I want to be. Why, why couldn't I have been born like, I don't know, sixty four? I could have hit the end of the disco area. I don't know. Why couldn't you have been could born have in twenty three sixty two, twenty one twelve? Well, it's going to be sucked by then. It's going to be like we're going to be on fire every day by that point. Yeah, I'm going to be crispy skinned. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I've got something I want to talk about, Patrick, and I'm very excited to talk about it. Oh, you're excited? We've got some big, 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 big news. Uh, uh, big, 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 big news. Big, big, Amico news that I don't think anyone has talked about yet, really, at, at the level that they should. But we can confirm. We can confirm. Confirm it for me, Ian. That Amico games are all going to be NFTs. What? Wait, what? Yep, they're all going to be NFTs. What? How do we? How is that going to work? I don't know because they haven't said anything about it and they don't communicate with what? with their potential customers. But but all the Amico games are going to be NFTs. Where, where, where was this news revealed? Ian? It was confirmed by twice, twice by Tommy Tallarico himself. The, the Terrence seat? Terrence Talamanca has come out and confirmed, confirmed what? Yep. Here it is. So I just want to talk about a little something that was found on uh, the Atari Age message board here. Uh, someone said, uh, one thing is a little unclear for me about uh, the physical media games products. I have seen you saying that they would be NFT. I would like to be sure. Did you mean NFT, non-fungible token, or did you mean NFC? 
which is a protocol of RFID. Tommy replied, I've never confirmed NFT. Someone brought it up and I said, wouldn't that be something? Not something we would be ready to disclose at this time. But thank you for your interest, which is what Tommy's, that's one of Tommy's new lines. Well, uh, so someone posted where he actually said it. Someone, replying to someone saying, I understand this information is most likely under NDA, but Intellivision isn't planning anything like this. Are they referring to NFTs? Tommy said, April 22nd, and I quote, No, we have a pretty cool setup going, and every one of our games, digital and physical, is an NFT. We even received a special technology grant because of it. They got money from someone because all their games are going to be NFTs. All their games are going to be NFTs. When, when shown this bit of information where he confirmed on April 22nd that all games were going to be NFTs, Tommy replied, I stand corrected. Looks like I did confirm NFT earlier Wait, so, this year. Wait a minute. So yeah. what are we saying? We're saying that he said it was NFT and then he was called out on it and, and said... And he said, no, I never said that. But now it, it is... And an then NFT. someone showed him where he runs his mouth and he said, you're right, I did confirm NFT earlier this year. So is that an admission that he confirmed it was wrong or confirmed it and that... that the, he, phys, the, he, he confirmed the NFT. NFTs. They're going to be NFTs, which means They're be, all NFTs. Which means that in theory they'd be digitally signed via blockchain to each individual user, which then means you could potentially transfer the digital ownership to someone else. Yes. That's what he was I mean, that, 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 that's what, what that's what's being said. All I know is that he has confirmed. Tommy Tallarico, you what? heard it here. Confirmed. All games, NFTs. There's a reason why I'm bringing this up. Why are you bringing this up, Ian? Uh, because I want to see what his response is to this. I want to see what happens when he has been proven to run his something. mouth uh-huh. about shit he doesn't understand. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. He doesn't remember saying things because he just speaks. So I want this to gain enough traction that I want him to have to respond to it. I want him to respond to these Amico being games NFTs. Are NFTs according Amico to, games according are to, NFTs according, according to, to the CEO. According to the Intellivision CEO, Tommy Tallarico, Amico games are going to be NFTs, non-fungible tokens. So did you... Uh, I mean, what, what's this crazy technology? I feel like this would be huge to know in the NFT field. I feel like all those people who love NFTs would would be super excited to know all these games are going to be NFTs. This is an industry first, uh, choosing to use a controversial technology that is burning down the planet. Uh, but man, industry first all the way, or you just don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Um, it- I actually think it's more the second one, but hey, it's been confirmed. They're NFTs. Confirmed. I mean, I know you're being cheeky, Ian, but obviously the CEO says a lot of things that is either retracted or says, I never said that. He confirmed it, Pat. Yeah, I. but here's the thing, though. Or he's going to redefine what NFT means, maybe which I think is probably more likely to be the case. Maybe the CEO doesn't realize that NFT is not RFID and doesn't know that the letters mean something different. Someone gave him that opportunity, and he said no. Hey, I, wow, I'm trying, I'm trying to give Tommy Talrico the benefit of the doubt. That's a first here. Well, he can come out and give himself the benefit of the doubt by explaining what um, it means that all games are NFTs. Confirmed. Oh, okay. That, that's, a, that's an interesting... Thing. I guess this is the this is the the takeaway from this though. When you're the CEO of a company, you can't just spew bullshit or say whatever you want no. when you represent a company, especially when you have public investors in a company. You can't. Run oh, your I mouth. feel a segue coming on. You oh, you can't just say whatever you want 
and do whatever you want and make claims when you have when your company has public investors. There's rules. Securities Exchange uh, Commission exists, the SEC, to make sure that this stuff is regulated so people don't get taken for a ride or may invest in something and get hoodwinked potentially. So why is that a segue? Remember the tale of Jay Allard? <laughs> Remember the tale of Jay Allard? Jay Allard was uh, brought on as a global communications director, I think. Well, something like that. He was he was, he was a global something. He was fucking global. Global global marketing director, global. So he was brought on. He was uh, going to take the Amico to the moon. <laughs> he was brought on spring of 2020. It was a big announcement. It was big, big news. Big, big. At the time, Jay Allard used to work on uh, Xbox. He worked on the uh, with Microsoft on the Zune. He helped get the Xbox Live Arcade going. You know, just a star-studded, you know, career here. Industry genius, industry guy was going to help with the with the Amico, right? Um, then radio silence from Jay Allard. Then we learn uh, several months later that. I think we were in early 2021. He was gone from the company by his own admission via GeekWire article in by summer of 2020. He was gone. So he was there for a scant few months with the company. However, Jay Allard's face and name was plastered all over the place. Uh, in particular, which we'll bring up on the fig slash Republic crowdfunding investment site, Jay Allard was listed as one of the people working on the Amico. Almost like they thought they could benefit from that. Not only that, as was brought up uh, in in Sam Mekovich's great covers of Ars Technica, which he did bring up as well, there was a, a sleazy uh, investor video put out, put out by Neil Patel where Tommy says, we got the guy from the Xbox working on this, saying insinuating that, Jay Allard was still working on the team. And we brought this up as this is not a small issue when this is a uh, SEC security at this point. When you see someone with the track record of Jay Allard working on a project, that could be the difference between investing or not investing for someone who's trying to make a smart investment. That could be the linchpin. Be like, oh, this guy worked on the Xbox. He's working on the Amico. Okay, this he's is going to be something or another. I'm, I'm all in. Yeah, he's the, the global uh, marketing director. Oh, th- this is going to be fantastic. This guy knows what he's doing. So the point is this. The SEC is like, they're like uh, investment cops. They're like Mappy, Ian. Yeah. Uh, instead of having a nice thing that hit off, wore off cats, there's, there's a little like computer and, he's, and Mappy's wearing spectacles and making sure that fly-by-night companies don't get people's money that investments are are promising and delivering what they are saying so people don't get screwed. They're investment police, basically. They're like stock and investment police. They have to look out for, for investors and the little people so they don't get taken for a ride. Otherwise, anyone can make outlandish claims about anything they want. And that's why they look out for stuff like pyramid schemes and, and Ponzi schemes and stuff like that. So we always said that this Jay Allard stuff could potentially lead to something could potentially lead to something. And now we've been made aware through a, a filing, a federal filing to the SEC, a clarification was needed from Republic, I guess, on behalf of Intellivision to the SEC that the SEC is aware 
of this Jay Aller stuff, and it sounds like wanted clarification about what is going on yeah. with this. So this is an SEC document. You can you can look it up. Um, U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. It was sent via. This was from uh, Fig Publishing, which is also obviously Republic, the same company. They said, uh, "Dear Miss Krebs, I'm guessing Miss Krebs is the person uh, at the SEC. On behalf of our client, Fig Publishing, we hereby provide a response to the oral comment conveyed to me by the staff. The staff being the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission." regarding post-qualification amendment number four to the company's offering statement on form, blah, 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 blah. Basically, this is what it boils down to. The SEC uh, wanted clarification um, on this statement that they made. The Intelligent Amico is being developed by a dedicated team of industry veterans. Leading members of development have worked on a wide variety of projects relating to launching and maintaining new hardware and software in the gaming industry. Jay Allard, the company's global managing director, previously served as Microsoft's chief experience officer and chief technology officer of the entertainment and devices division, heavily contributing to the development of the Xbox and Xbox 360 game consoles. However, recent, this is this, and this is a clarification. I need. However, recent website postings have indicated that Jay Allard may be leaving or may have left the company. Please clarify the company's disclosure regarding Jay Allard's status and whether any change in that status has had or may have a material effect on the development of the Amico game console. So this is the SEC saying, what's going on here? Right. What is happening here with this Jay Allard? What happened here? So this is how uh, Republic responded. I, I'm, remember, they're the ones, you're technically, when you're investing in this in this uh, Amico, you're technically going through the FIG slash Republic site. That's basically, that's the main investment, technically. You're not technically uh, investing directly into Intellivision. It's through this. In response to this comment... Which is crowdfunding. Uh, the company re- required clarifications and updates from Intellivision, the developer of the Amico console. Intellivision informed the company that Jay Allard served as company's global managing director from before the following of the first Amico form until after the qualification of that f- form 1A on October 21st, 2020. During that time, Mr. Allard served as a full-time advisor. They're trying to not say employee and get themselves in trouble. Full-time advisor to Intellivision, helping Intellivision in the final stages of Amico hardware development. After this work of his was completed, Mr. Allard ceased serving as a full-time advisor, but has remained available to give advice when contacted by Intellivision. And considering his contributions overall, Mr. Allard has not played a material role in Amico product development. So they're, they're speaking out of both sides of their mouths. Wow. Yeah. You tout this guy as helping from Microsoft, who helped get the Xbox off the ground and Xbox Live. He's alternately the most important thing that ever happened to your but, company, but, but he's also not. No material role, really? That's what So we're... you're telling us, and that's them telling us right now that he had no material role in it. This guy, who you touted because you knew he could get investors on board because he has a successful track record. Keep in mind, none of this is shit-talking Jay Allard. The guy always did what he set out to do. Um you're 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 saying that he had he had no part in it. So why why were you touting him? Why did you put him up on both the figs and the Republic uh, investments? Do sites? advisors generally why? get titles like global marketing director? Why why were there a bunch of YouTubers saying, "Well, this means the the Amico the Amico's taken off." This is all, all the little YouTubers said, "Oh, this is it." See guys, see Pat and Ian, you're wrong. They got they got they got the Xbox guy working on this now. This is going to be a surefire success. Phil Phil Spencer tweeted out, "Hey, best of luck to my pal." Jay Allard, former Microsoft, uh, you know, co-employee, good good luck working on the Intellivision. 
So they got this buzz at the time. They they did this to obviously try to hook investors. Yep. Now they're being called out for in the, in the SEC. The government's like something's not lining up here. We need clarification. And now they're coming back and saying, ah, oh, he has not played a material role in the Miko product development at all. But he was full time, but just an advisor. So this is what I'm going to say about this. Um, so we don't have a response from the SEC yet based oh, yeah. on their response. Yeah, but this is the thing, though. Now the SEC, now we'll be- see. The SEC became aware of this, though. Yeah. And from what I hear, the SEC, when they, they, they might go out and do searches for these, these tech companies are smaller to make sure this stuff doesn't happen so they can easily get you in some capacity. I don't know if it's like a, like, like a policeman having like a ticket quarter for the month, but I'm sure some of these SEC people are hired, like in the IRS, to be like, all right, find us some, some wrongdoing and get us some money from these companies. So there might be a fine that gets put into place if they investigate this. I'm not saying anyone's going to jail, but it's, as Frank would say, it's not nothing. It's not nothing. What makes this worse is I went back to the uh, Republic uh, investment crowdfunding campaign. I remember originally got, uh, it was from mid-February to like mid-April about. Yes. Jay Allard was on there originally for weeks. He was on there, according to the Wayback Machine, he was on that site until March 3rd was the last Wayback Machine date I saw that Jay Allard was listed as being a part of the team. Now, in this document uh, themselves, to the government, they're saying that um, he was gone by the latest by October, according to, to this. This is what Republic's saying to the SEC. By October. JL was gone. JL himself said in that GeekWire interview he was gone by the summer. Yeah. So we'll even make we'll just we'll even just say if it's October, why are you still touting Jay Allard as part of the team after October in both in, to investors in these videos? Why is this happening? The SEC obviously knows something's up here. So I'm not saying this can become a major thing, but the SEC is aware of this Jay Allard situation. It's not just two crazy people talking about it. It's the government aware of it. Yep. I mean, we were on this like a, you know, last year, but we're just dumb. We're just drunken podcasters. We're just dumb. Dumb drunk. We're just drunken podcasters. So there you go. Not saying people are going to end up in prison, but the possibility of like a fine or something else happening, that could happen down the road. Certainly there. The SEC is not going to ask for clarification if this was above the board. And they're like, oh, no, they're like, what? What? Wait, wait a second. What? Yeah, they're what, not asking what? for clarification if they don't need clarification. But Jay Aller's being promoted, but he's not with the company. So what has he do? What has he been doing? Like what's happening? They're they're there to protect investors. The SEC. I'm surprised Jay Allard hasn't come out yet. Oh, more, if we get to that point where the SEC, you think Jay Aller's sitting at home relaxing? He's got to fucking get a call or get a letter from the SEC to like he has to do like a sworn affidavit to say exactly when he worked on the company, what yeah. exactly he did. He did. Yeah, and what time period? Because that's going to come. If how they many won- globes he managed? How many globes he managed? <laughs> yeah, it's so that's the, what it comes down to. This is that you can't. The NFT thing is one thing, but it just shows you can't just just spout off and do shit, and then expect no repercussions to happen. Confirmed, man. It's confirmed the NFTs. Confirmed. Uh, what's also been confirmed is the uh, the remember that the pre order gift they promised to people. Oh, we won't spend a lot of time on this. Um, the pre order gifts. Due to the, the third delay of the Amico, they, they said, oh, we're going to get something out to you to show um, that, hey, we care about you as customers. And um, I guess I held out hope that it would actually be related, be related the giveaway to the actual Intellivision Amico that people put down $100 to pre-order. So why would I think that, like, okay, you pre-ordered a console. We're going to give you something related to that 
product. But what Tommy did is he bundled up a bunch of MP3s and sent out um, some like his Earthworm Jim soundtrack. 20 years of my life. Video games live soundtrack stuff. He said it's like hundreds of dollars in value. But what if you don't want that? It's not related to the console. Just because you're the guy who worked on video games live and you're the CEO of Intellivision doesn't mean that everyone who pre-ordered it would necessarily want this as as a something to hold you over. I saw someone say uh, something somewhere where they were like, I pre-ordered an Amico, not a Tailorico. And I thought yes. that was very clever because it's true. What what does this have to do with anything? Especially if you go back to uh, the whole, this isn't for retro gamers, this isn't for them, it's for, you know, mom 2.0 and kids and grandparents who can't do anything for themselves. Why, then what are they going to do with a bunch of, you know, video game music? No, I, I, and I'm not saying... If you delayed an Amico, uh, you should give them a, a, a gift related to the Amico, not your ego. Yeah, it's obviously something just laying around. It's like, all right. It's not this, costing him anything. They did they did it via, I think, a humble, humble Bundle thing. They did that. The Humble Bundle uh, already exists, which means that you uh, stopped seeing any real money from this a long time ago. I think that's what they did. You think they didn't, he didn't just do it for this? It was already there, you think? I, I feel like it might be, but I don't, I don't know. Even still, whatever. It's, it's, it doesn't cost them anything. It's not costing you anything. And just we're going to give them some codes, give out, give out a, whatever. Well, I don't know how many codes I gave out. So people were rightly asking, wait a second. Does this lock us in to the pre-order if we accept this? And, if, and at first, uh, Tommy said in the form, oh, yes, correct. Then he clarified, no, I didn't mean that because he doesn't know how to read posts and respond. He doesn't know how to read posts or respond to questions properly. But, 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 he doesn't know how – he, he uh, should not be talking in any sort but of there's public also, capacity. But there's pre-orders now via, via GameStop. Who knows how many? There's like Amazon you know, Europe. So like do all those people get this? Here's the point though. They just – before the delay, like five, six days before, they showed the physical products. If I thought you'd be showing goodwill, why don't you ship one of those physical products to, to your backers here? They didn't cost you that much to make. I, I can't picture those costing more than a buck to make those things each. Cannot picture that. In that quantity, maybe less. Ship out one of those. Give your, give your people a chance. Be like, hey, fill out a survey. Which one of these eight games do you want? We'll ship it out to you. If you don't want to do that, Ian, how about, okay, um, I'm, I'm just spitballing. I don't know. I'm being the global, the global fucking marketing director. Um, how about, global marketing or global managing? We keep going back and forth. It's, it's global. I think it's global marketing director. Um, it, it, it matters. Is, idiots are, are idiots. They get their facts wrong. We don't fucking care. We don't care. It was a fake job position. Uh, Allegedly. So now they have a system. They have a delay. What would you do? How about, I don't know. How about five bucks off an Amico game once it's out? It doesn't cost the company anything. It's just a credit, and at least it's related to the fucking game, or to the game console. Do something related to the game console. I feel something. like that would have been the easiest thing to do. Free game when you get your Amico. Free we'll game, give, free we'll credit. You, we'll give you a code. Or we'll give you, if you don't want to give it right away because people are going to cancel, we'll give you, how about we'll give you a certificate once the Amico uh, arrives, we'll fucking, or we'll pack in a fucking physical product with the Amico. There you go. We'll pack yeah. one in. We'll pack one in. There, if you don't want it out in the open, we'll pack one in once it arrives. There, I saw it. That would cost money. It costs you a buck extra. Wow. You won't, it won't cost you any extra shipping. You can just throw it in the box. You know, whatever. But no, it's got to be, hey, here's a bunch of MP3s. And people, there were people on Atari Age annoyed. There were. Oh, yeah. There was definitely, there, there were the people who said uh, it was the greatest thing ever. And then you had a lot of people who were like, this is weird. 
for the reasons I stated. We pre-ordered an Amico. We expected something related to the Amico, not a bunch of fucking Tommy's guitar riffs. And for the people that, that said that, you know, well, what do you expect them? You can be complaining about anything. And it's like, no, 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 I wouldn't complain about anything. If you actually put out something that showed respect for the people that put down $100 for a pre-order, I'd be like, okay, you finally did something nice, even though this is a disaster. For Christ, if you sent uh, out patches or something, like I said, it, yeah. I, I, I actually wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't really ready to go to town on whatever the free gift was. I honestly expected it to be some sort of discount coupon. But it's not related to the product people ordered. It would be like, not to bring it back to, the, to, to my, my soiree of products, if I did the, if I did the book and it was like, okay, the book is now over a year late, and you uh, sent out NES punk wristbands. Yes, thank you, Ian. I've, I'm involved with both, but one has nothing to do with the other. Yeah. But in this case, it would be me sending out uh, a zip file of NES punk YouTube videos. Yes. Basically, that would be it. Well, that's the other thing. People are like, this doesn't mean anything. We can get it all on Spotify. So, yes, that's, that's even more accurate. You're giving out something for free that you're not, it's not related to the pre-order, but you are, your name's involved with in some way. So and finally, people are, are on Atari age are getting more and more fed up from what I hear. People are asking questions. Um, so there was a topic real quick. I'll bring this up. Uh, this was on like the general Atari age forums, you know, like the feedback. He said, uh, "This person said, uh, Sean, why are AA posts being edited for Tommy Talrico? Personally, I believe Tommy should have his own form for himself and his product. While I agree that all the Amico crap and Tommy directly have damaged the reputation of Atari age." among the online video game community over the last while, I do, not, I do not think Albert or Atari Age is directly shoring up business for him. Albert's the guy who runs the site. There has been specific moderation of that Amico section, which is totally out of line and out of character versus the rest of the forum for sure. Has it become, has it become what some have called a safe space for the Amico and Tommy's postings? Yes, it clearly has. Would any other video game forum have ate him alive and kicked him and his yet-to-be-released product out long ago? Yes, 100%. Is the Amico vaporware? No, it is not. It's a real thing that is just having a really hard time crossing the finish line. Does it deserve the perceived kid gloves treatment or the specific treatment it's so obviously been getting that has spread a negative look on the form as a whole? No, it does not. It needs to be out on its own in an Amico age, not on Atari age. Bravo, sir. And these are some of these people are not these are not new posters. These people have been around this site for some time, that, decades. That person has been around since I think like two thousand and two or something. So like, like that. so that's not someone who just signed up to talk shit. That's someone no. who has posted on Atari Age, loved Atari Age. We loved Atari Age. Uh, and I'm not saying there's, there's and no, it's sad to see it. And of, of course, fall like this, this is not this is a, this is not the majority of Atari Age. But yes, this does put a whole specter on the reputation of the site. Yeah. It does. I don't write off all of Atari age, but it, yeah. this is certainly not a good look for them. Especially since five years ago, uh, you know, how they treated other up, upcoming products with, with the due diligence and criticism. I was going to say deserve. fairly, by the way. Yes. But for whatever reason, Tommy can do no wrong. He can do no wrong and gets away with it. And he, and he could, he could uh, libel, you know, me, Ian, and others that he thinks are in his way of his, of his uh, goal of total... Uh, video game domination, I guess. All right. Is there anything else to add? No. So we got NFTs confirmed. NFTs confirmed. Video games are going to be NFTs. He confirmed it. Confirmed. Uh, we have the SEC that's aware of the JR shenanigans. That's the government, by the way, the federal government. Um, and then we have people getting more and more fed up with Atari age. This portion of the CU podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Attention listeners across the galaxy, all the way from Australia to Houston. Do we have a pew problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new lawnmower 4.0. 
kick your pubes to the next planet with the Performance Package 4.0. The orbits in your pants will feel like you're in zero gravity when you use the best tools for, for the job from the leaders in male grooming. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com slash CU podcast for 20% off plus free shipping, Ian. Ready for an out-of-this-world experience, fellas? Look no further than the Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped that has just taken off in not only the USA, but Canada, the UK, across Europe, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore. Inside the package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold your whole solar system. First scheduled for liftoff is the new Lawnmower 4.0 Trimmer. This spaceship is here to guide you on a journey to trim your body, balls, butt, and even your anus. Oh! oh! The Lawnmower 4.0 also has a 4000K LED spotlight you can turn on and off when needed for a more precise shave throughout your travels across the universe. The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker. It's like having a little astronaut to chop your worst weeds up top in your nose and ear. Don't forget to use Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and their Crop Reviver to help your little planets be on their A-game while feeling the sun's heat. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Abort Harry Balls and Buzz Lightyear that Woody with Manscaped. If you're ready for your adventure with Manscaped, get 20% off plus free shipping by going to manscaped.com slash CU podcast. That's 20% off and free shipping by going to manscaped.com slash CU podcast for a clean Trinity and beyond your space balls. will thank you. <laughs> All right, Ian, Pat, are your games worth millions? Oh, what are we doing? <laughs> so we knew that with the recent headlines, uh, with the million dollar game sales. Now it's like every week you had the $1.5 million Mario 64 via heritage auctions. It seems like a year and a half ago, but it was like a month. Um, and then you had the, the $2 million, not even first print run or second print run Super Mario brothers sold to, uh, from the rally app to, to a private party, but rally investors were involved with that for 2 million, a seal Super Mario brothers. You're going to have mainstream notice. Uh, and articles now. This happened with the Yahoo. The quaint times in 2009, Ian, with a, with a $10,000 Steam events found in the yeah. fucking eBay auction or someone's fucking closet. So this you happens know, a lot. 2009, 10. And I, the problem when, when the mainstream gets a hold of shit like this is they uh, almost always paint with far too broad of a brush. Um, they talk about, you know, how someone found that stadium events in a closet, or they talk about the uh, very strange Super Mario 64 auction. Um, and they, they talk in such a way that is meant to get you excited uh, and think that everyone out there is sitting on um, millions of, of dollars. And, and, and more often than not, you are not. Um, one thing that has changed since, you know, the stadium events days into now is that we are seeing things go for an insane amount of money, just more money than we thought they would ever go for. But even then, the likelihood that you are sitting on something like that is still very slim. But here's the weird part that's changed a little bit. Back in the stadium events days, they were legitimately rare games. Yes, exactly. So, like, this article, while still this – is, this article is on CNN style – by uh, Megan Hills, and we're not going to. I'm not going to kill you, Megan. This isn't your thing, but we're going to go into this article a little bit. But now there's a grain of truth to it, right? 
because now you probably don't have a you know a, a complete inbox stadium events laying around. You might have a sealed Super Mario sixty four. That's not insane to think about. Yes. Someone having one. People of those. have sealed games, and, and I've seen yeah. some people be like, "Really?" You, you... Or Look, people might have like this is why it's insane now because now on my shelf that complete inbox Legend of Zelda goes for over a grand. You have that sitting around now. Right, you have that's not worth knows, but you you have stuff that was three four years ago. Well, does it go for over a grand, or does it go for over a grand if you put it in a plastic box that you have to well, pay for? Either way, a first print run Legend of Zelda, yes. even not sealed, is now going. And Mike Tyson punch, they're going for over a thousand dollars. Contra, like you have these games laying around now, right? So it's, it's closer to truth. So this uh, is from uh, this is CNN style. Um, they talked to someone named Roberto Dillon. Began collecting retro games more than twelve years ago. What two thousand nine? He scoured auction sites. And connected with niche groups of hobbyists to amass a personal archive that is now hundreds of titles strong. But at the time, there was a consensus among collectors that buying old games was sort of a fad, said the academic game developer. And in the grand scheme of things, yes, video game collecting was a, like a niche thing, even amongst other collectibles. It's like, you know, it's not the biggest thing. It's not baseball cards. It's not comic books. There's not, you're not going to have you know, 100,000 people go to a, you know, a, a retro gaming convention. The biggest convention uh, back then, uh, in 2009-10, uh, you know, uh, PRGE, the first one I went to was 2010, 11. It was only hundreds of people. It wasn't thousands even yet. It was still on the cusp of blowing up. So, you know, it, it was still, that, that's correct. It was sort of a, 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 I wouldn't say fad because it, we're still collecting games, but it was very niche amongst collectibles. It was, yeah. you know, um, most collectors were simply nostalgic for the childhood games. Uh, Dylan explained in a video interview, there was no idea that games could become artifacts of the past that, w- that we want to conserve and preserve. Preserve. No, there was. There, there was. There were people that were thinking about that even back then. Yes, absolutely. That, that's where I think, uh, I'm not trying to kill, kill this person doing this interview, but no, there were people thinking about that. There was always people that thinking we have to start co- collating this stuff. Remember, the original arch- archives and preservations were collectors. We have to collate this shit and know what we have and document it. That, that's been happening forever. Sure. That's been happening since the first run of collectors from, from the Atari era. Started really probably doing it in like the late 80s to 90s. Started to really get into it. Um, so they talk about the, the $2 million Super Mario Brothers, the $1.5 million 64, the $870,000 Legend of Zelda, which is insane on its, it's insane by itself. Um, uh, cultural Artifacts. Collecting is not just Dylan's hobby. It's also part of his job. He's the founder and creator of Singapore's James Cook University Museum of Video and Computer Games. Huh. So in Singapore, they have a little museum there. It was charged the sector's evolution through a 400-strong collection of game memorabilia. Retro video games have become uh, a kind of modern relic, Dylan said, one intertwined with nostalgia, pop culture, and technological history. Well, I agree with that. It really shows how technology evolves with the kinds of tastes we have had years of gaming. Um, so... He talks about how the, these are holy grails or unopened, shrink-wrapped early editions of iconic titles. They're, but here's the thing, though. They never were holy grails to, to, to 99.9% of collectors. They weren't. And that's what I, I got into arguments with people about in person, people that are pumping up this sector, and now you see the results of them pumping it up, is that the holy grails of game collecting were never, ever sealed games. They no. never were. They were rare and obscure artifacts. They were things that were legitimately legitimately hard to find stadium events nwc cards mr boston uh you know vectrex game test cartridges prototypes pepsi man or pepsi, pepsi invaders man. or whatever yeah. the fuck it was on the atari chase the chuck wagon stuff that were like weird giveaways stuff yeah. that were that were mail aways stuff that were just you know hard to get yeah. i got something hearing you no that was scratching me. okay <laughs> that was me scratching me it were oddities that weren't readily available in any other form 
That's what they were. Yeah. If you want to say stuff, even like some of the hardware stuff, like, I don't know, it's not incredibly, incredibly hard to find, but the, you know, the Vectrex 3D imager, it's, it, you know, they're not easy to come by. Weird stuff like that. Stuff that really, when you boil down to it, these are things that would be interesting to people, to the, I think to the average person to learn about. These would be things that, oh, I could read about this now. Oh, it, you can put it on display. You can, you can put, you know, the uh, Vectrex Mr. Boston on display. I'm like, oh, this was just a giveaway that, that Mr. Boston commissioned for their employees back in like whatever it was, 83, 84. There was like only a couple hundred of these things made or a few hundred. That's an interesting piece of history. A game that pre-exists in another form that now is just cellophane wrapped, that's not an interesting story at all. No. It's the same commercial product, just unwrapped. That's all it is. Right. That's where I wholeheartedly disagree with this. And I disagreed with, back on, a, on a Nintendo Age, my favorite website back in 10, 12 years ago. Man, how long has it been since that place fell apart? When Go Collect bought them out, it was, uh, I think, or it was 2019 all that stuff happened. Wow. When, when that guy bought out Dane Anderson, the guy who ran us, I bought out the, he bought out Dane Anderson's collection. Right. No, it was so long ago. It, it, it's two and a half years only. It feels like forever. Yeah, it does. It feels like forever. They've done a lot in two and a half years, these folks. Um, according to Il- Ileana Bodner Horvath, head of marketing at, at luxury collectible auctioner Macy and Sons, Interest in retro video games reflects online investors' growing appetite for non-traditional assets such as sneakers, trading cards, and NFTs. You know what, Ileana? You're right. That's actually a pretty, for not probably having dealt with video games, that's a pretty astute observation. That's where probably a chunk of this money has come from recently. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it's, it's another sort of collectible. I can dabble in the market. I could, I could uh, speculate. I could gamble in a way. And it's video games. So it's interesting at the same time. Yeah, everything is just falling under the umbrella of collectibles now. Yeah, it's, it's an investment collectible. Recently, we have seen a surge in more eclectic requests from our clients looking for unique and rare collectibles. She said over email adding, we believe people will always invest in traditional assets such as stocks and real estate, but alternative assets are exactly that. She's absolutely right. From what I hear, there are people that were traditional investors and people with money that all of a sudden are like, hey, uh, I want... A rare, a rare video games. I want an NWC cart. These people did, probably didn't know what an NWC cart was three, four years ago. Sure. They did probably no idea. Now they hear about it. It's a buzz thing. It's like, I want to be in this. I want to be in this sector, Ian. I, I want to be my, in this space. This, I have my real estate investments. Now I have my video game investments. The collectible space. Yes. Um, rather than games with limited production runs, it is classic titles from the most popular franchises that attract the highest bids, which we talked about how that's kind of weird. Dylan said that it's maybe partly because new collectors are more willing to invest in well-known characters that appeal to their sense of nostalgia, such as Mario, Cloud Strife from Final Fantasy VII, or Zelda protagonist Link. It's not just nostalgia. They are treating this like other collectibles, like comic books. They're treating it as, well, the most popular characters are the, are the ones that end up being worth the most money. Even if a comic is rare, if it doesn't have a big name attached to it, like a, a primary superhero, then it's not worth as much in the grand scheme of things. But that's where they are, I think, off long-term, because in this case, the, these, these characters are popular because they're ubiquitous, and there's tons of these games that exist. And in some of these cases of sealed games like Mario 64, there's a lot of sealed versions of Mario 64 that even exist. Sure. So this is where, long-term, they're in for a very rude awakening. The same rude awakening that we're already seeing with the, the Spider-Man Atari 2600 games go from nine grand to 900 in only like a year. Because you yeah. realize, hey, it's a popular character, but most people don't care because there's a lot of these out there. 
And it's not that important of a game on top of that in the grand scheme of things. So, um, yeah, the July sale generated $8.4 by the way, that, that one. $8.4 million. And remember, 20% of that goes to Heritage. We're talking a lot of money they made. They made a couple of million dollars, Pat Math, Heritage directly on that, on that one auction. That's not counting if they're taking a cut from the seller. That's just with the buyer's premium. $2 million Heritage auctions made. Three, three years ago, they weren't making any money off video games, Heritage auctions. Now they're making $2 million in, in a weekend. It's a lot of money at stake here. There's there's some factors at work here. There absolutely is. Um, the future of collecting. You want to comment that uh, with games uh, today's games industry moving towards digital only sales, either via third party platforms like Steam or directly through PlayStation Network and Nintendo Direct. Owning physical games may eventually become a thing of the past. That is correct uh, overall. Uh, but game developers already have one eye on the next generation of nostalgic investors. This is where you might disagree. Some have created digital collector's editions containing exclusive artwork, soundtracks, or add-ons. Others are sprucing up their physical offerings. Oh, God, Ian, you're going to kill this. Ubisoft offering a really recently released an $800 legendary edition of the game Assassin's Creed Origins, which includes a 29-inch tall resin statue of its main character. Lithograph signed by a studio artist and a hand-drawn world map, among other collectibles. Fewer than 1,000 copies were released worldwide, so they're trying to tap into this. They're thinking the future, Ian, 20 years from now, on Harris Auctions, you're going to see this legendary edition auctioned off. No, I just don't. I mean, sure, there, and people can, and they probably will, they'll point to things that do appreciate and value from these collector's editions or things that do, but, that do hold a value. But overall, this is just junk that ends up taking up space in people's houses, and they go, why did I buy this? And then they can't get rid of it because no one else wants it taking up their space. So you don't think there's like a 15-year-old now that once they're in their 40s would want to invest potentially in the, this legendary edition? The same way people are investing now in Mario sixty four. No, I, I don't. I, guess, I don't think it's the same. It's 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 because it's not the game. It's merchandise. Well, the game's there, but you're getting the shit that. Yeah, I, it's not the same. It's oh, not we'll at see. all the same. We'll be doing the podcast at seventy five years old. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll let you know what happens when that when that occurs there. No, but they're trying to they're trying to well, at least well, at least if it's a thousand, that's at least more limited than like oh, get the Joker statue in this sure. Batman Arkham where they make like a hundred and fifty thousand of the damn thing for right. two hundred thousand. Uh, digital collector's editions, that's just silly. That's just silly. We know that the NFT stuff has already fallen apart. Uh, th- that world, for the most part, from what we know. That's just silly. But, but, but in television? Well, yeah, yeah they're NFTs. Yeah, well, you know, they got the cutting-edge tech, according to CEO Tommy Tallarico. But anyway, so it's, it's an interesting read. There's some good stuff in here. Uh, there's stuff I disagree with. There's some stuff I agree with. But again, these writers, you know, the, C- the CNN style writer, what does that do with style, by the way? I don't know. The CNN style writers probably said, all right, find out about video games. Go. Goes, oh, okay, boss. Gets, gets on their, their little reporter notepad and pencil and starts interviewing people. And, and, you know, there's some good info in these articles. Sometimes they're not. But overall, your OVD games are not worth millions of dollars. But damned if we're not going to hear a couple people say, oh, yeah, I had a Mario 64 sealed that, you know, I bought for someone or I had and never opened it. Oh, Absolutely. That's happened with NES games. There was that Kid Icarus seal we talked about last yeah. year. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and, and, a, and a sealed Mario 64 is it's a hell of a lot harder, excuse me, more easier to find than a Kid Icarus sealed. So there you have it. Anything else? Are we good on this? We're good. Ian, we have a Patreon, don't we? 
We do. Patreon. Yeah, think about that. Patreon.com slash CU podcast. You go. I do writings. You pay money. Writings, stuff, video, full video. Yeah, well, you don't pay writings. Full video. Full video. Polls, hangouts. That's what we do. You need a writing soon, Ian. Yeah. Uh, so this week, this week, it's poll topics at 33%. Will computer games ever be as collectible as console games? And at 67%, a real trouncing. A super majority. Uh, would the Sega Master System have been successful in North America with third party support? Patrick. And yes, before, actually, yes, I had a third party support by like Activision for a few games and like one other third party game. Whoever the hell did, I think like Carmen Sandiego, I don't know. I'm not the mesh system punk here, but there was almost no third-party support in North America. In Europe, they obviously had lots, and in South America. We know this. Right. We know this, man. Yeah. But in North America, their library sucked. Sucked compared to the It's NES. not exciting. It sucked. Then at the end, you had a lot of stuff that was just dumbed-down versions of Genesis games. That All right, we got, we're going to put Moonwalker as well in the Master System and Spider-Man. And and like Strider, and it's like you're not you're not going to want to play those versions against the. Genesis Honestly, game. the Moonwalker ver, uh, version on the Master System. Okay, is fine. I had it for so a long time. You had a Master fun. System when you were a kid? No, I I had one before I moved out here. Okay, but overall, Alex Kid is not going to st- stack up to uh, Super Mario. We know that. You know, a, a game like Rampage will do okay, but it's also available on the NES. Obviously, uh, Galaxy Force is not a title that was going to set anyone's world on fire, and that was a third-party game. Well, you know, I can tell the third-party games, Ian, they're all colored differently. Yeah. They're all colored differently. Yep. Uh, you did have stuff like uh, Ghouls and Ghosts that, that came, but again, that was too late, and that was also a Genesis release. So it's like, it was either scant few games or stuff like Co- uh, Columns was first party, that's right, or Bomber Raid, or games that like, yeah, you wouldn't want these games even if you didn't own another system or, or platform where you can get them. You know what I mean? Uh, that rampart is not uh, obviously North America. Uh, that's uh, Europe yeah. right there. Like Games like Operation Wolf are not available here. So if those games were available, I'm, not, I'm just talking about not even the NES third part we get to. If even games that came out in Europe and South America came out in the mass system and they were pushed, uh, would it have done uh, better? Yes, it would have done better. It absolutely would have done better. Like When you have a, a bigger variety of games available, of course you're going to probably do better. If you know how to market the console, which they didn't, by the way, uh, for the mass system, would it have been successful still? I do not know that. I don't. Because Sega, again, did not know how to do marketing on the mass system. Go back and watch those commercials. They were not good. Right. Third-party support is going to help you, but it can only take you so far if you don't know how to get that information into people's Uh, eyeballs and make them want it. Half of their commercials were when the console was on the way out already by, like, 88, where it's like, hey... Buy a mass system, you get a free fucking double dragon. Great. You're already yeah, giving I don't me free think, games. I don't think I uh, was aware of the master system until they had basically already given up on it and were trying to g- give giveaways. stuff away for free. At yeah. that point, you're going downhill. Imagine Nintendo saying, hey, get double dragon two for free. No, because people are going to buy it. We don't need to give stuff away like that. Obviously, Dragon War is something entirely different. They wanted, that, that was... That's a new type of that game. That was training us to, to get into RPGs, RPGs and sell yes. Final Fantasy and Dragon Warrior 2 and 3. The letter in Dragon War always said, hey, yeah, we got a second one coming you out like already. This part 2 yeah. is here, and here's yeah. the hint guide for it, and do oh, it. Yeah, anyway. Well, there wasn't a hint guide for 2 in there. Oh, there was a map. There was a... There, the, there was... There was uh, 
there was a bestiary. There's so there was there was, there was information for okay. part two in there somewhere. Um, I like that name, bestiary. Um, so then you have to ask the question though. Okay, Pat, you talked about third party sport they had in Europe, South America. What if they got the third party sport for the Nintendo games? So what if they had like a Mega Man on the Master System? Uh, what if they had you know uh, uh, how Ninja Gaiden was not an arcade version or what what the actual Ninja Gaiden Master System? What if they did that? You know, what if they had uh, all the Konami games? You know, what if you got Blaze of Steel? You know, what if you got um, a game like Super Dodgeball? I'm like, okay, now this is a more interesting conversation that we're now starting to have. Yes. Now, because now we have games that uh, sold very well, that were third party, that gave it a different flavor, not just a bunch of uh, first party games and, and weird third party games that weren't really setting the world on fire. Sorry, Bomber Raid fans. Sorry, it's not setting the world on fire. They're get angry. I love that game. Yeah, I get it. Um, <laughs> shout out to the Bomber Raid fans. But would it have been successful? I still would say no. I still would say no for a few reasons. One, you only had two buttons on the controller, which sucks still. That still sucked. Some games you still needed a third button. Not overall, but it just sucked to have the pause. That's a little thing. That's a minor thing. You can say, ah, oh, but the game, some of the games were superior. The Double Dragon was superior on the Masters and versus the NES. Okay, sure. I'll give you that. But I don't know if the games would have transferred with that feel and quality to the Master System, first of all, if they would have gone on the way to, like, the NES. Remember, the NES carts kept that system alive because of all the, the custom chips they had. Right. All different mappers. Yeah, Kirby's so the, Adventure looks amazing. It's also it, it also right. saying that's running on the NES is kind of deceitful. Because yes. there's a lot of other shit happening in the cartridge to make that game happen. Yes. So, like... A Master System game in 86 probably looked better than most of the black box games, you know, and the 86 games. Master System games aren't looking better than an NES game from 90. 80, it's not looking better than a game like Baseball Stars, Super no. Mario 2 or 3. You know what I mean? Mega Man 2 or even Mega Man 1. It, it's not going to look better than those games. Those also, were, I am uh, not like a Nintendo fanboy. Um, definitely prefer the Genesis over the Super Nintendo. But I think Genesis Nintendo's does. I think Nintendo's first party offerings... Were, would still be blowing Sega's first-party offerings out of the water in the Master System NES era. Po yeah, post-Black Box games. Well, a lot of those Black Box games are simple little arcade experiences, but after that... Sure, but even in that... I mean, you still get Bike. Super Mario was Super Mario, uh, Excitebike, and then immediately into Kung games Fu. like... Excuse me. Immediately into games like um, Kid Icarus, Metroid... Le Legend of Zelda. Zelda. So Zelda it was just like, okay, we go from solid games to... Uh, obviously, tomorrow's outstanding, but solid black box games to outstanding games in the course of like a year and a half, yeah, basically, because they had they had you know the track record from the uh, Famicom. Uh, the other thing we're talking about is the marketing. Uh, Nintendo really got the marketing down, um, and I I'm cribbing off of Howard Phillips from Video Game Years. They were already established in the U.S. via you know they had the the most popular arcade games. Yes, yeah, Sega had arcade games. They weren't Donkey Kong. They weren't even popular. Oh, I think I think Sega uh, did very good in the arcade area, but Donkey Kong is a is a they had specifically a, Donkey Kong is a big leg up when the home video game industry is still in its infancy. They had several years. Sega was getting the big games in the mid '80s when their masters were coming out. They were starting with Space Harrier and Outrun, like they right. were coming later to the party. Yeah, that's what uh, I would say. Later yeah. to the party, but also Nintendo had all those relationships established already from like Game and Watch with like distribution networks set up. That's yes. something Howard talked about. So they already were ahead. Even if even if the, the, the NES was like a, an up, uphill struggle, 
they had the relationships that were going to be easily reformed because they sold a fucking ton of gaming watches. A ton of them. Obviously, a lot were thrown out. You can't find them every day, but like they sold a ton of those things mm-hmm. across several years up before the NES. So, with all that said, I still think they would have eaten Sega's lunch. Yes, I think with the so system. Too. I think they obviously would have still done in North America. Yep. Yep, I think that's probably true. And then the Genesis, maybe then the Genesis. I mean, the Genesis was already ready to come out. Um, you know, even before, obviously, it came out earlier and it was an 88, it came out elsewhere as a mega drive uh maybe they wouldn't felt the uh, maybe, maybe they wouldn't felt the need to rush it but i still think they would want to come out to try to cripple the nes because the master system even the master system did, did, did better hey we got the we got this mega drive we should put out that will definitely look better than the nes you know so sorry sorry master system fanboys it, it would have probably still it would have done better but it would not have been a, i would say a success overall agreed uh, Ian, we got we got uh, we got voicemails, don't we? Oh, let's do some voicemails. You know how to access the? No, nope. you, don't. You, don't, I don't. you don't. You don't love you don't love me I enough. I have no idea podcast. how to do that. You just show up and take a paycheck. Anchor.fm slash the CU podcast, and you do great Manscaped. Or you, Ian, our, our great sponsor, Manscaped. Um, you can leave us a voicemail. Just keep it short, please. Keep it short. It, it really it really helps me because I have to I have to uh, I shouldn't say this. I have to like pre-screen most of these. First one. Greetings, Pat and Ian. This is Nico from Finland. Firstly, I would like to know if you're uh, excited about the return of the Cruising series, since it's coming back with the blast, so to speak. And secondly, do you guys have any modern consoles? Do you game with modern consoles at all? And lastly, I do hope that even though Tommy is sending you messages every week, I hope that he doesn't, for example, invade your home, Pat. Uh, nevertheless, I'm a big fan of the show, been a listener for many years, and keep up the good work. Moikka! All right. So, yes, modern consoles, obviously, yes. I have, a, I have a Switch. Ian has a Switch. He's got a PS4. I have a Switch. I have a PS4, and I'm sure I'll end up with an Xbox One X or a or an Xbox Series X or a PS5 at some point. Not really in a huge rush to get them, though. But, yeah, I, I definitely try to stay, more so than Pat, I try to stay up to date on the, the modern games. I just play Trigger... Uh... He played one Tr- Trigger game. Trigger Witch. Yeah. <laughs> my, my pal Dan. Rain Bite Games. What was uh, the first question? About the return of the Cruising series. Oh, return of the Cruising series. series. So um, uh, Blast has been out for a while, I, I think. I, there's I, a couple of arcade ones, right? Is there Blast a is the big one. I think I saw that at the last uh, uh, Game On Expo I did. which So that would have been like 2017, 2018. But it is getting a console release. I don't know that I'm going to rush out and get it, but I do like to see these arcade racers. They're fun. I know there's 2017. Okay, so it's so a cruising yeah. came out in 2007. Was was that that was a Wii game? This is okay. This is the first. Uh, I always forgot about cruising velocity. That was a thing on Game Boy Advance. Doesn't count. No, so no. Cruising I, Blast. This is the first one that counts since the three main ones. I think on the 64. And this is via Raw Thrills is the dev on this, so it's not it's not. Uh, um, but it's interesting. So, yeah, I, I think there's always room for arcadey racers. I just don't know that it, it translates to home. Like, I didn't play Cruisin' Blast when I saw it, and I kind of wish I did, because that's uh, the sort of game that's fun to play in an arcade. Yeah, arcade arcade racers are kind of like in-the-moment sort of thing. I reviewed all three cruising games for a certain N64 guidebook. They're simple. And you try to stretch out the experience by having, like, other cars you can unlock and things like that, but it comes down to replaying the same, you know, whatever 10 12 races right and each race is only like a minute and a half two minutes because it's an arc so it's like it's not they're not that deep i mean they tried to you know i i think my, the personal best i think is cruising world 
out of all three because they really perfected like the, the drift and stuff like that and little tricks and going up on two wheels. So they, they did that, but like you, you run out of steam on an arcade racer on a console. Yeah. It's just tough. Obviously, you do multiplayer, it's a little more fun, but I, I feel like checking out Cruise and Blast, it's fun that, that you know, Nintendo, they licensed it and they, and they did it, and there you go. They trusted them to do it. They probably were cruising fans, were like, oh, we want to do this. Yeah. There hasn't been a cruising game in forever. We, we want to do this, uh, this arcade game. All right, next. Oh, yeah, and Tommy, Tommy, if I see a Ferrari show up in my house, I laugh. It's, I'm not going to happen. Hey, Pat and Ian. This is Dick from Las Vegas, Nevada. I have to say, uh, trying to sign up and leave a voicemail for you guys is tougher than trying to be narc on the original uh, NES. Really? Anyways, okay. I just wanted to know uh, if you knew if Perfect Strangers, the arcade game, was going to be a launch title for the new Intellivision Amico. Oh, God. I'd love to hear All right. I think, I think he, then tries to, he plays the theme after that. Okay. I would love it. I would love it. A Perfect Strangers arcade game. That's actually something that good old Eric Lapp from Video Game Years said for one of his. It should have been a game. I believe he did. <laughs> I believe he did Perfect Strangers for like eighty six or eighty seven. Whenever the first year came out, I think it was eighty six. So Eric had his pulse on the games we really wanted to play. I, you know, I love those standalone segments. And you did a great job on those. I'm not just uh, fluffing you up here. You did a great job on, on the popular pinball machine games. I thank you. I remember trying to make you laugh because some of the ones at the end were going, those are the most popular pinball machines of 1984. You're almost starting to laugh. (laughs) I know I'm like egging you on. Remember that? That cramped ass, small place I would yell at you. Hot wooden chairs. I I would fucking freak out because I hate how cramped it was. Yeah. I would spaz up for the podcast recordings we do on like, what was it, Tuesday nights we used to do it or Monday nights? Yeah. When do we do the podcast? All right. uh, What do we got next? Gaming racist. Okay, then. All right. Thank you for that, Bruce. That's it. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Bruce. Hey, Pat. Hey, Ian. Uh, this is Nick from Canton, Ohio, the Hall of Fame city. Go Browns. Uh, not to stir up any drama, but I was kind of curious um, what happened to Mike Kennedy since uh, everything went down. I know he was kind of a staple in the convention scene, and I used to see his magazine at uh, Borders before they shut down. Uh, but he's been kind of quiet the last several years. I, I wasn't sure uh, what he's been up to. The magazine was sold to uh, P- uh, Pico Interactive, which I don't know what they did with it. I don't know if they did anything with it. Probably not. Um, uh, he, he still showed up to the the SC3, the Southern California gamer uh, meetup groups. I, I've been to a few of my see Andre. I, remember I told you that's where I saw the Air Raid complete yeah. box. Mm-hmm. And the guy just basically had it on a piece of stone. So, I'm like, yeah, you're like, you should probably. Like, that game's worth like 20 to 30 grand. Like not not to, I was trying to I was, I was trying to be helpful, but I thought it was funny. Yeah, but no, he used to show up to those, and from what I hear, he still showed up to one or two of those after the Coleco fell apart in 2016. Really? Yeah. All I know is this: is that um, it sounds like there was a lot of falling apart with his family because his family invested in it. I feel bad for his wife. Um, they probably got divorced, but I'm not sure. But like, there was a lot of bad stuff that probably happened with his friends and family because they probably believed in this guy, and look what happened. You know, so I think he now just works just doing a regular job and that's it. You know, that's what that's what it ended up being. Was that your phone or mine? That was uh, that was beeping there. Uh, next. Hey, Pat and Ian, this is Tyler from Florida. Long time listener, first time caller. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is actually a question for Ian. I was wondering if we were going to get that episode three of the fantastic ranch dressing story. 
if not, maybe we'll get some um, Ian ha- Ian's happy handhelds. I think you do. I think the listeners deserve Ian Happy's handhelds at some point. Ian, I don't. We got. Know. We got to. Even with me just recording on my cell phone, you playing a fucking Tiger baseball game, and you rant for ten minutes. Come on, Ian. We can do that at least. Maybe someday I'll leave open the possibility of a happy handheld someday, but there is no possibility of uh, ranch dressing part three. I've said that. You know, get I'll, for I'll a get, long time. I'll literally set up a little tripod on a, on a phone. You just do it. Free ball it. And play a fucking. It'll take five goddamn minutes. It's been eight fucking years. I'll see if I can it's pick been one. Eight years. They need it. <laughs> it's been eighty-four. Years. I have the theme song jingle in my head. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know I'm a jingle expert. If the podcast doesn't work out, I go. I go like like Uncle Jesse and I do jingles. Jingle writer. Remember that? That's what Uncle Jesse did. The, oh yeah, that's this. right. Uh, okay, next. Hey guys, this is Jason from Pittsburgh. You guys love the show. Just a real quick question for, I guess it would be more for you, Pat. Uh, uh, in regards to a certain, some certain guidebooks, was there any rhyme or reason to whom you would assign to review what game? So just well, I always wondered that since you uh, released your books. Thanks. Straw poll. We just, we just do straw. No. Um, <laughs> so it's actually a process. We want to obviously writers that are more adept at certain genres and are actually familiar with pre-familiar with games you prefer. So you send, I send out, you know, everything to all the writers and they, I send back, okay, what games would you be interested in? And then what games would you absolutely never want to play? Like, or so, some genres, some writers are adverse to some genres. We don't all love different genres and you can't have them working on those games because they'll be judging potentially more the genre than the game itself, which has happened. We've kind of caught some of these things here and there. It's not right. always perfect. You have a subconscious, like like oh I don't like, we'll just say like a like an Olympic style game. Oh, you're just constantly doing the same thing. It's like well that's that's the game. You're you're going through these 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 certain mini games. So it is a process. Sometimes when you when you get down to the nitty gritty, like right now, there's gonna be writers that have to work on games that they may not like because it comes down to someone's got to work on them. Um, so yeah, I do. You know, I get lists of the games people like and the genres they like and dislike, and you go from there. And that's that's the way it works. I didn't force Ian to work on an NES game he didn't want to, I don't think. No. I don't think so. I should have. I should have. Uh, next we have, uh, uh-oh, Tommy. Not that Tommy. Ian, Pat, it's Tommy from Sheffield in the UK. Let me just say this about Mr. Talrego. He's ruined people named Tommy for me. <laughs> I have a very good friend named Tommy. That Ian, that Ian I know met. Tommy, yeah. And now every time I say his name, I, I think of a fucking CEO. Ian, Pat. It's Tommy from Sheffield in the UK again. A um, couple of quick questions. What's your thoughts on emulation, seeing as though Hate it. original hardware and video games are now going through the roof, skyrocketing with prices? Um, I think it's a really good, viable way of playing video games, and I, I personally emulate loads. And also, is there a game that is so good that you've bought it again to give to friends. I've done that with a PlayStation 2 game called um, Freedom Fighters Battle for Liberty Island. All right. Uh, we don't hate emulation. No, absolutely not. Um, people try to pin that on us at some point. And we're like, no. Well, I don't think Tommy's trying to pin that on but us. Other people have. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, I definitely don't hate emulation. Definitely very pro emulation. Just because I like to buy physical copies of some games does not mean that I am anti-emulation i think where the anti-emulation stuff comes from is how often we uh go after people who sell roms 
and sell pirated games and sell emulators. And people think that well, that's because you want people to spend seven hundred dollars for a game. No, 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 no. I'd no, no. I just, rather you emulate it than spend money on giving it to these thieves. I that's just don't point. want people making money off of other people's work. Yes, but I'm not. I'm not. I am absolutely not opposed to emulation. Um, as far as the second question, yeah, there's actually a handful of games that I've bought for other people because I like them so much. I've definitely bought a number of copies of Killer Seven for other people. Um, I have bought and given away uh, lots of copies of Kirby's Pinball for the Game Boy. And uh, No Man's Sky is another game that, um, especially once it started to like get fixed, um, bought that for a bunch of people, bought it for my dad, bought it for a couple of friends, did a giveaway. So, um, yeah, when I like a game, I'll definitely buy copies to give to people. Next. Hey, Pat and Ian, it's Sean from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm looking for just some general trade etiquette and advice for when you guys go to conventions. I'm going to the Midwest Gaming Classic in November, which is a convention in the city. And I have a copy of Columns, the boxed cardboard version uh, for Genesis, and also a copy of Times of Lore for NES. That I'm looking to try and trade for some N64 stuff. Um, so I'm looking for some tips that you might guys might have that might help me when I go and to try and like temper my expectations a little bit. I appreciate everything you guys do on the podcast, and uh, hope you guys keep it up. So thank you very much. Well, Bye. well, Sean, um, you have to keep in mind that if you're trading, the seller has to be able to move it uh, rather easily. So if you, your time's a lore, which is a very uncommon NES game, that might take him a while to sell versus the N64 games that you want you know, in return. So you, you It depends on what value he thinks he's going to get out of the times of lore. Um, the value! A lot of times, if something is decent value enough, you know, they'll be happy to take it. Just keep in mind that when you're doing a trade, especially with a business, it's with a business. It's not with your friends. You're almost never going to get a one-to-one well, trade on anything. Time's a lawyer. Uh, you're not getting the top right. trading uh, price. You know, you're always going to be paying. They're always going to want to hopefully get some sort of cash out of you in that situation. Um, and then, like Pat said, when you take stuff to trade at a convention, um, I do think the times of lore might be more interesting. The columns, though, I, I don't, I, I don't know. Uh, you, you want to be able to trade stuff that they think they're going to be able to move then in there. Sure. This is Paul and Raleigh and C. With video games now getting their own theme park, I'd like to know what rides you would put in a TurboGrafx 16 theme park: a Splatterhouse Dark Ride. Bonks bumper cars, a magical chase Dumbo ride. Love to hear your thoughts. Thank you. Well, it sounds like you got it. You got it all laid out, Paul. I recognize your voice from other voicemails in the past. Well, I, I want. I want a. I want a, a a bonk log flume ride. You want a bonk log flume? Yeah, and we can theme it like the inside of the dinosaur. Well, there is the log jumping part, and you can take the log into its guts. I was thinking there's got to be there's got to be like a children's packland thing. It has to be like a just a, like a oh just a whole packland area yeah yeah that'd be great you just walk around there's like ghosts that like in costumes that are, God I want to see this now. I want it's like a Pac-Man Namco you already have enough ways to monetize Pac-Man but I'm surprised you haven't done like part of a theme park not saying a whole theme park but like part of one like how Snoopy's part of that uh, yeah one where was that was not Sperry Farm yeah what where, where's where's the Pac-Man Pac Park Pac Park I've always uh, heard he's far more popular over here than in Japan. Really? They're just sick of him over there? Pac-Man. Yeah, people love Pac-Man in the U.S. Well, when they did those little mini Pac-Man Tamagotchis, those were U.S. only. They didn't even release them in Japan. Wow. Japan, what's going on there? Uh, we'll do a couple more here. 
Hey, Pat and Ian, this is less of a question, more of a statement. Oh. But I think that if you have any sealed retro games whatsoever, you need to get them graded and you need to sell them and get the money while you can, you'll always be able to find another copy unsealed, and they're never going to be as valuable as they are now. There are not going to be another generation of people wanting to buy sealed NES games, I don't think. Um, I'd say get the money while you can, even if you have to kind of go back on what you said. Um you just need to get that cash, man. Tim, do you know are you do you know something about my finances that I don't? Like, it's like you got Pat, you got to do it right now. Here's the thing: I don't own that many sealed games, which is funny because when this started happening, and I could tell the people that were just trying to get stuff off me to hopefully flip, I was contacted on Facebook by at least three people that are like, "Hey, big fan of yours, Pat. I want to buy all your sealed games. Like, do you know anything about me or follow my work? I don't have a lot of sealed games. Right. I mean." Out of the thousands of games I own, I have less than probably four or five dozen sealed games. Like, we're talking less than 1% of my games are sealed that I own. But I do agree with this guy. I mean, as, oh, yeah. as much as we talk uh, shit about what's going on, it, it, it's it's like I, I can say I hate capitalism, but I've got to operate in it to, to live. Uh, if you have sealed games, absolutely. You can hate this this collecting. You can hate this slabbing. You can hate this. But if you have some and you're looking to get rid of them, grade them and sell them. Get the it's, money. it's not just that though. When I, when I brought up like the Mike Tyson's Punch Out, if you have sure, a complete in box, even not even a first print run, like a second print run or whatever, they go for like fifteen hundred dollars now. It's like a hundred. That's like a hundred fifty dollar game a, a few years ago at most. Sell it all. That's a, that's a ten times increase. Sell it off and roll around in a bathtub of your own money. Ian, I'll flip you on capitalism. You'll you'll come to like the capitalism. No, I'll, I'll get you. Capitalism Pat, is, is Pat. I'm thirty nine years old. Capitalism fuels a CU podcast. All right, it's a capitalistic. Po- That'll be our, our bonus episode. That's a future voice. So we should do bonus episodes about stuff. That Just for the Patreon, I'm like, hey, we can get into that conversation. It has nothing to do with the, the purview of the podcast. Uh, we'll do a couple more here. Hey, Pat. Hey, Ian. Things opening up now and conventions starting to be back on the rise. What are some of your uh, favorite road trip snacks? Oh. Things you like to eat on your way to conventions and all you do stuff and stuff. Ian perked up. My favorite road trip snack of all time is Twizzlers Pull and Peel Licorice. I love Twizzlers Pull and Peel Licorice. What and is it? Is it like individual, like, like string cheese packets? What it, is it? It's, you've never had Pull and Peel? So it oh, is, they're twisted up and it's, it's one at a time? It's the nine little pieces that they twist up and it's, it's soft and chewy. It's not as... It's not. No, as, I, I hate Twizzlers. I hate hard licorice. I can eat salt licorice. I hate hard licorice. Uh, no, this is not hard licorice. This hard is, licorice this gives is me, very soft. Hard licorice gives me a headache for some reason. I don't know why. Weird. Um, no, this is very soft, and my mom used to always buy it when we'd go on road trips, my mom, my dad, my brother, and I. And even in adulthood, if I'm going somewhere and I see pull and peel, it's an instantaneous purchase. I love pull and peel licorice. Okay. Specifically I, for road trips. And I believe we probably have one more. So let me get this straight. You guys can put out your podcast a day late, but I can't put out my Amico 14 months late. Okay. <laughs> Hypocrite alert. And you never mentioned that I promised a free gift. Some sweet MP3s of my rock and tune. I was just talking to someone and they said, but Tommy, what about the people with pre-orders who aren't fans of your music? I said, excuse you? Oh, no, you didn't. You better take that back right now or you can get the H out of my car. I don't care where we are or what time it is. I know, I know. That language was uncalled for, and after I kicked him out of my car, I decided to take his advice. So, 
I'm throwing in a free game of choice from the following list. Oh. Thunderbirds Rescue Mission, uh, USFL Football 2022, and, oh, Fraggle Rock Racing. You're welcome. Uh, Tom, if I can call you Tom, I think you're, you're the USFL football, yes, that's that's definitely in line with the obsolete uh, properties. Fraggle Rock Cart Racing actually sounds fun. I would race the shit out of like some that, Fraggles. Like, if Amico announced a Fraggle Rock racer, I'd say that's a stroke of fucking genius yeah. <laughs> compared to Harlem Globetrotters and Evil Knievel. Yeah. At least you have something from like the late 80s. Yeah. You know, at, at least something yeah. that within the past 30 years or so. USFL football, that'd be funny. Every every year they try to do another football league. But XFL twice. They, 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 there was the other one they tried, the, 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 the one that NBC tried right before the pandemic. Oh, yeah. Obviously, yeah. the pandemic hurt it, but it's like, we don't need a second football league. No. Nope. We have arena football. People want to watch that stuff. Eats. Bon Jovi owns an arena football team. We watch because no one wants to watch. It's never going to no. happen. For an outdoor football, no. In, arena football sounds like it's, it's done okay. But it's like smaller, you know. Right. It's like it's like a pickup game. It's like street football I used to play. I want, I want that street tennis league. Though. Street tennis. I, I was about street, to bring up some street tennis. I want tennis. street tennis. I was going to bring it up. With obstacles and cars that come by, you get out of the way for. Right, that, that was fun, right? Yeah. That was a good podcast. Wow. It was. An hour 38. Economical for Economical. us. Economical. These are, Remember these used to be only an hour, hour 15, the weekly ones? I decided I'm going to give myself way too much work. Yep. Um, and we're done earlier. So there you go, Ian. You can... By the way, that's the first time I say wear that t-shirt. Very thighful t-shirt. There. Are they both supposed to be Chun Li? Yeah, they're both Chun Li. She has a doppelganger? They're just both Chun Li. Make sure you wash that inside out, buddy. You'll, you'll keep it lasting longer. This shirt is so old. Inside out. You know, it's lasted like... me a long time. I, I think I've seen that shirt one time. That, that, that does not take. That does not make your 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 usual like six or seven shirt rotation. Like six could be generous. Yeah. Oh, it's hot enough that you're not wearing jeans. You brought out the the, the basketball, basketball shorts. shorts. All right. Well, don't dangle something like that. Tails from the game store. Thing. No, no. Don't do that. Bye, everyone.